0: This is Looking Back, Moving Forward, a podcast of the undergraduate class of MIT 1994. The goal is to get an audio recording of our entire class, a chance to hear from old friends, and an opportunity to meet the classmates you didn't know you needed to know. It's January 11th, 2021. This is Kimberly Cornwell. Uh, welcome to the first episode of the MIT podcast for the class of 1994. My guest today is Craig Andera. And Craig, you want to say hi?
1: Hello. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you uh, decided to let me be first. I think this is a great idea and it's pretty cool to be here.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you today. Um, just to get us started, um, what did you enter MIT thinking you were going to study?
1: Uh, yeah, so back in the day, they had you list what you thought your major might be. They had three slots. I think I filled out computer science, physics, and math. And I wound up being a double E. And I think if you look at it, it's, double E is kind of all three of those things. <laughs> so I, I feel like I was right, just not in the particulars, but in general. Good.
0: And what did you end up getting the concentration in while you were at MIT?
1: Uh, So I did 6A, so I I came out after five years with my MENG, and the area I kind of spent the most time on was uh, uh, signal processing.
0: Okay. Did you have a favorite class or professor while you were on campus?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I I mean, Lewin, right, Professor Lewin, 802 was, uh, that was 802? Good Lord, it's been 30 years. I believe that was
0: 802. <laughs> I, I, I had him for both. So. <laughs> I think I had him
1: for 802. And that was always cool. I remember him seeing him shoot a magnet like 30 feet in the air in 10250 or whatever. That was always pretty cool. I had some pretty good instructors um, all around. I remember in 601 2, 601 3. Anyway, one of my um, dorm mates, one of the people I lived on, I lived on Connor 3, and one of the people I was living with was my TA and it was a good class i forget the instructor's name um he was uh he was not american-born and this uh this woman, Hi hyperteam was pretty Rao, my ta she was she was my sweetmate mate and my ta and we sort of always had this sort of friendly rivalry thing and uh we used to always call each other geek i'm sure everybody remembers the nerd geek thing from back in the day and so when i did the test one of the tests um they had a place for your name and then your ta's name and i put down Pratima and then in quotes geek, you know Rao for her name and I happened to be This never happened to me, but this happened just this once the first one done with the test So I got to come down in front of whatever 50 people and sort of put the test on the desk and I found out later from her that the, uh, the instructor um, uh, Picks up the thing and he's like looking at the test because you know somebody's done and he, and, he, and he turns to her and he says oh this is one of your students and she's like yeah one of my students was done first and he says to her, "What does, what does geek' mean?" <laughs> so she got to explain to this professor who she, you know, kind of idolized. Exactly why I had called her a geek on this test. So that was that was nice. pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, no, that, nothing like embarrassing imp- your friends, right? To,
0: impressive to be first done on an exam. Like
1: perhaps. I said, not a routine uh, happening for me, but just that one time it paid off.
0: I, I think I only had that happen once and that was pretty much because I did not know what was <laughs> happening on that exam so, mm-hmm. so it's like just limit the pain mm-hmm. uh, so where are you calling home now
1: I live in Fairfax Virginia which is just a little bit outside of Washington DC
0: and did work bring you there or how did you
1: uh, nope I, I came here to uh, uh, be near my uh, at the time girlfriend and now wife who uh, Alice Wong she's actually class of 96. We were uh, living on the same floor, kind um, of three, and then uh, I graduated before her because I'm older and moved back to Minnesota, where I was from. She, when she graduated, she found a job here and uh, kind of navigated long distance for a while, and then eventually it made sense for me to relocate to where she was, and I've been here ever since.
0: And are you working in the area?
1: Um, I am remote. I mean, everybody's remote right now. We're talking in the time of COVID-19, unfortunately. But um, I've been remote for most of the last 20 years. The company that I'm working for right now is uh, located in Durham, North Carolina. um, And I've been remote to them since I started working there four years ago. Nice.
0: Um, And what are you doing for them?
1: So we are an advertising technology company we provide I won't bore people with the details We provide a technology platform for people that want to provide advertising on their website without being evil (laughs) And I can explain that more if we want but whatever Um, just you know people hear advertising like ooh But actually we're the the good guys the place is called Kevil Um, And but I mean I'm in technology, right? I'm a I'm a uh, actually this is kind of interesting maybe to uh, MIT people. I am a professional Lisp programmer. So those of you that took six double O one, um, you know, and learned Scheme, um, there are those of us. It's not Scheme that I'm using; it's a Lisp dialect called Closure. But I do Lisp, you know, most days in my job, and that, that kind of harkens back to to my roots.
0: Yeah. So are you still programming then? You're still.
1: Yes. Uh, I'm. Uh, my title is principal engineer. Um, so I, you know. I had up until recently we did a reorg. I'd been leading a team of about eight engineers, but um, I was still and am still a uh, technical contributor. So I do build I build software with my bare hands. Uh, So uh, I really enjoy it. Actually, there's been periods throughout my career where I've had the opportunity to move on to different parts. You know, become a manager or whatever. And I've always chosen to continue to be an engineer. Um, And I don't know. It's just kind of making things uh, is in my blood. I, I think you know, MIT was a good place for me because of that, because of the the strong engineering culture there. It just, it, it spoke to me and I've continued to be the sort of person that like makes things both professionally and in my spare time.
0: Yeah, I, I also, I had a, I, I remember at MIT, I took the class of management and engineering and kind of you were going to come to that point in your career where you either stayed technical or or you went the management route and i i'm really glad i took that class i stayed technical as well so um but i just think it was nice kind of knowing that that was coming and that you had the options i guess yeah Uh, no i mean that you you weren't limited if if you took either one i guess right
1: right uh, yeah i think the best places realize that you know um the next thing after senior engineer is not junior manager, right? Like that that progression is not a sensible one. And, and good places have technical tracks that allow engineers to continue being engineers, but to provide more leadership or more oversight or have broader responsibilities and, and keep that separate from management. Not that it's, I mean, I also value my friends that have been engineers that are managers. I think that perspective is super valuable when, you're, when the people you're managing are engineers, it's just, not to make that the default or the thing that everybody needs to do.
0: Um, so you mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with the intramural sports program at MIT. Yeah, so.
1: yeah well first of all I think the intramural sports program at MIT is, um, I don't know if it's unique but it's certainly special. Um, I don't know how many people are sort of aware of this but like um, a really large number of people that go through MIT wind up um, participating. I think there are something like 4,000 undergrads, at least when we were there. And I don't know the exact numbers, but we probably had 3,500 or more of them, uh, participating in the intramural program. I actually, I, I was the intramural chair. There's a committee that runs the intramural sports program there with support from the, the, the staff, but it's, it's student run. And I was, you know, chair for a year and I ran the intramural hockey program for a couple of years on top of that. And, you know, just participation is, is huge. Um, and I spent a lot of time on it. I, I joke sometimes that I probably spent more time playing hockey at, at MIT than I did on my major. I'm not entirely sure it's a joke, actually. But, um, but you know, it was it was important. And we just, it was just amazing to me. Because you know, what's interesting about it? First of all, you know, of course, we all know the stereotypes of people that go to, you know, technical schools like MIT, right? Which is, you know, that... Whatever, I don't need to enumerate them. They're they're so obvious. Not so athletic, Yeah, exactly. might not
0: come to mind.
1: Right, but then you have have this sort of vast participation in intramural sports. I mean, we had 100 hockey teams, like 120 basketball teams. We had, you know, I don't know what it was, 90, 85, 90% participation in intramural sports, and people had so much fun. I mean, I remember the uh, hockey uh, system was divided up into A, B, C, and D leagues with the the D leagues being beginners, oftentimes people that had never played before, we used to affectionately, but jokingly referred to it as tripod hockey, right? You needed two skates and a stick to stay upright and they had so much fun. I used to referee those games all the time and it was just, just a delight to referee them because people were just enjoying this activity that, you know, uh, they had never done before and it was an athletic activity and they were just out having a good time, um,
0: had and you played hockey uh, go ahead. before?
1: <laughs> it's funny, like I grew up in Minnesota and um, maybe because of that and maybe because I'm not actually by nature a particularly athletic person. I've, I've made it a thing that I've taken up, but I'm not, you know, sort of inherently gifted or whatever, but uh, Minnesota hockey is huge and kind of when I came to MIT, I'm like, oh, hockey, I should be able to do that. I'm from Minnesota, which is a s- silly thing to think, um, but it turned out that I, you know, I was I started out as a beginner. I'd never really played before because if you grow up in Minnesota, if you don't start when you're 3, you're behind the curve and I'm not joking about that. 3 3 years old is when Minnesota hockey players that are really good start. I the high school I went to, I actually graduated. The other guy in my class named Craig became an NHL player. He had a he had like a significant NHL career. So there was a lot of really good hockey players around so I I you know got got to MIT and that was probably the only way I would have ever gotten into playing the sport, but I really Really, really enjoyed it. Um, even wound up playing around the city a bunch in uh, various adult leagues. I was a goalie, so people are always looking for goalies. So, made a you know made a number of friends and had a lot of good times playing in you know Revere and uh, Framingham a couple times and and places like that.
0: Do you still play? Or
1: uh, you know, I mean, like everyone else in our class, I'm almost fifty. <laughs> I've got like a lot of other people. I have you know kids who are you know um, middle school and high school for us. So it's a very busy time of year, and I have not played in In quite some time physical activity has seemingly become harder and harder to to come by i do try to still run i was on the track team um uh most of my time there i started as a freshman and um uh, took it took a season off and ran my fifth year so i did four years over the five years and i still try to get out and run but hockey is i mean i would i still dream about it like i have dreams that i'm on the ice but to actually get back out and play with people who at this point would be for the most part 30 years my junior is frankly a bit intimidating i do hope to get back to it at some point i would need to find a league where um my general lack of physical conditioning and you know injury susceptibility is you know more of a concern would would have to be something that i would feel comfortable with i'd like to but it's it's been quite some time since i've played
0: any of your kids interested in hockey
1: or uh no i have uh two daughters and uh they each have a sport that they really are into um my older daughter is uh just started doing crew when last year as a freshman in high school and she was really really into it was really looking forward to it and unfortunately like so many other kids had her season completely cancelled by the pandemic um I'm hopeful that, you know, when things go back to normal, she'll be able to get a chance to participate in that because she was really getting a lot out of it. Um, and then my other daughter, my younger daughter is, um, big into swimming and she has been for quite some time. And so she's been, uh, able to continue participating in that. I mean, obviously it's not the, the, you know, they didn't have a summer season and the, practices don't look quite like they used to but um at least she's been able to keep going with that a bit but no neither of them are much into hockey they do both enjoy ice skating quite a bit though so uh figure skating for them but that's that's fine by me
0: yeah, no, that was i i did league um intramural hockey when i was on campus so um yeah very familiar with the tripod i knew how to skate <laughs> but um hockey was a whole new whole new experience but it it was it was a great stress relief
1: yeah I mean, and uh, just it,
0: and fun and laughing and yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I loved, I loved the D leaguers It was actually our biggest league. I think the, the there were more D league teams than any of the other leagues, um, which I thought was was really cool. And like I said, um, the D leaguers were my favorite um, ones to referee, and not simply because it was easy. It actually wasn't in a way because when people don't know what they're doing, the rules, it, yeah, right, no. then it can be harder to kind of tell. You know, when you're watching an, an A or B League game, there's a flow to the game. And if something happens that's not in the expected, I guess it's sort of like when, you know, people that play chess can look at a board if they're really, really good and say, oh, that's, I know the next move just by looking at the board. So with the D League, it could be a lot harder to tell
0: <laughs>
1: what was going on because there was so much chaos, but it was such an enjoyable chaos to look at. So,
0: And how did you get so involved in chairing the intramural, or, or, I mean, because I, th- I know a lot of students participated, but I don't think a lot of us knew right, that level of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's a volunteer-run organization. So, you know, it did re- it did rely on um, volunteers. And in my case, I got into it because the floor I lived on, uh, Connor 3, um, the previous two chairs, three chairs maybe, had all been on Connor 3. And so it was sort of almost an inherited position where you saw people who were running the program and, and they were very enthusiastic participants so we were all encouraged to play it was a big activity for the floor um, uh, and then when it kind of came time they're like hey you know i'm graduating someone needs to pick this up you've been playing a lot why don't you do it and You're like, oh, all right why not someone's got to do it so kind of just inherited i guess
0: I, mean, I know I definitely participated in many of the sports, but I, I don't think I knew as much what was going on behind the scenes. Sure. So, um...
1: Well, I there guess. was always somebody from every organization, um, whether it was the the Greek system or the dorms, um, that had... You had to send a delegate to the, the intramural council, which I think met fairly infrequently, maybe once a month, something like that. It's been a long time and I forget. But, um, uh... The, so, you know, people would have been kind of aware from from that perspective that there's this thing called the council. And, and there we would have said, hey, you know, uh, if we're going to have a volleyball season, we're going to need a volleyball manager. And, you know, so the word kind of got out that way. But, uh, you know, I think that's good. I think it was great that y- you had a way to provide leadership and then most people could just participate. They could just like show up to the game and play football or volleyball or basketball. or There was even intramural water polo, which I think is hilarious and awesome that, that you know, there was, I think, 20, 20-some sports in the intramural program.
0: Most everybody I knew on campus participated somehow in some sports, varsity or intramural, or, or just, you know, running, yeah. along, running along the Charles. Um, sure. But anyway, I think we were all just looking for, for different outlets <laughs> while we were on campus to yes. release some stress. Um, but um, anything else you'd like to share with the class? Uh, I've,
1: I've got a story. So I mean, I mentioned, and you know, I, I think some people will find this interesting anyway. I, so I mentioned that I was, um, that I'm a professional Lisp programmer, um, and anybody that's familiar with Lisp or with um, six double o one, you know. Might be able to relate to this, which I think is a pretty substantial portion of the school. In any event, for a while, my
0: percent of it. Yeah, uh, right.
1: For a while, my job was I was a uh, technical educator. I, w- I would teach um, like week-long courses on. At the time, it was you know .dot NET C Sharp was C for a while, was various other things. Anyway, um, Microsoft got interested in the early two thousands in promoting .dot NET as an alternative to Java within Um, universities. Uh, Java was making big inroads. They saw it as a a place they wanted to compete and they were swimming in money at the time and so they threw a bunch of it at the training company that I was working for and they put together a program whereby a small number of us would do these um, tours where we'd go out and teach a between two and four day course on dot net um, and specifically the language C sharp um, at various places and I I think they kind of chose a bunch of us because we had um, you know pedigree might be the right word right like having gone to MIT they thought that maybe that would somehow make me more credible as a person to tell the story of you know why they might want to do net whatever I mean I was just doing the gig and it was great actually I it was I really enjoyed doing it I got to go around to a lot of um, really great places I got to teach at uh, Waterloo University in Canada they were fantastic and Berkeley and Stanford Stanford was amazing this people there were so great and the students were so sharp but, you know, they asked me if I wanted to teach at MIT, and I said, well, yes, of course. Um, the course, unfortunately, was not at MIT. It would have been, like, so amazing to, like, go and give a, uh, a course in, you know, like, 10250 or whatever, one of the other big um, auditoriums. Not that we would have filled it, one of them, but I don't know, just that would have been cool. But it was at, you know, it was at one of Microsoft's facilities. So it was off campus, and so, you know, I, I got there early on the first day, and I was... Getting there, ready to, ready to greet the people, come in. First person comes in the door and I'm like, hey, how you doing, I'm Craig. You know, you're in the right place. I said, so, it's nice to meet you. He was like, what's your name? Um, and he says, my name's Hal. And I said, oh, are you, you know, student, faculty, staff? Because we would get all three. We would. Some people were students, some people were faculty, um, and sometimes we would get uh, staff or whatever, you know, people in the IT department. And I was pretty sure this guy wasn't a student, but you know, one likes to be polite when one asks the question. Um, and he says, oh, I'm, I'm faculty. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I actually, I went to MIT. I mean, I probably would know you by your last name, though. He was professor, whatever. And he says, oh, yeah, it's Abelson. And so my mind went completely blank because, of course, this is Hal Abelson, who is one of the co-authors, along with Jerry Sussman and Ju- Julie Sussman, of Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs, which is one of the absolute greatest books in computer science. And, of course, he's one of the instructors of... 6001, and I was like, all I could think of for, for a seeming eternity was, oh my God, Hal Abelson is in my class, and I'm going to teach him the basics of C Sharp, what on earth is happening. Um, but luckily for me, I am a total egomaniac, and as soon as I get in front of a crowd and my mouth starts moving, I, I I'm not nervous anymore, and Hal was like super nice. Everybody in that class was actually awesome. It was... Every, everywhere that i went on that tour i was always really impressed by the quality of the people that came to the class like they would ask really good questions they would pick up on the concepts you know really really quickly but there were a few places that really stood out stanford was definitely one of them and, and mit was as well it just was it was just a really a really great i forget whether it was 2 days or 3 days or 4 days but that that moment where i realized i was going to be teaching a well not computer science but i suppose programming class to hal oh, abelson yeah, it kind of blew my circuits for a few seconds there.
0: Kind of a surreal moment, but yeah. impressive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so thank you again, Craig. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your stories, and hopefully the rest of the class will join.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward very much to hearing everyone else, and I certainly appreciate you doing this. I know that. So I did a podcast for for uh, the company I used to work for, and I know it's a lot of work, and I know it's um, you know requires a lot of you know kind of know editing and scheduling and all that so really really appreciate that you're willing to to invest that time and very much looking forward to the to hearing the the fruit of your labors
0: and as we perfect this i may have you back as a guest as i figure out how this system works but (laughs) i really appreciate you being the first guinea pig sure anytime and um yeah thank you so much